Hey, my name is Pastor Robert. Well, my name is Robert. I am, one of, I am the microchurch pastor here at Greenhouse, South Florida. Um, we are going to continue our series in uh, The Great Awakening. And if you are able and are okay to stand up to your feet as we read God's word this morning. Um, we're in, like I said, we're in the midst of a series called The Great Awakening. And this is the idea in the, the sense that we, we sense that things are not okay in the world. And we have seen how God moves in times, and now more than ever, we need him to move again. Will you agree with that? Yeah, right? So let me bring you up to speed. Actually, if you're joining us online, just welcome to you too. I'm sorry, I forgot. Um, if you're joining us online, but anyway, yeah, I already said that. Um, let me bring you up to speed with this historical account. Um, in Acts chapter 1, we see that right before Jesus is about to ascend up to heaven, he tells his disciples, wait and tarry until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Because with it, you're going to receive power to be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Then it goes on to chapter 2. They're all gathered. All the disciples are gathered in a room. And as we know, a mighty rushing wind comes into the room, it fills everybody up with the Holy Spirit, and next thing you know, they start speaking in another language, and next thing you know, there's men gathered in Jerusalem during that time for, to celebrate the, 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 the Feast of Pentecost, and as they come in, they're hearing their own tongues. And so right away, they start saying, what is this? Like, this is amazing. Like, these people are actually speaking our own language. And Peter stands up to the defense and says, well, they're not drunk as you might think that they are. They are filled with the Holy Spirit. And then chapter 3, it goes on to we see where um, Peter and John are going out as it may be seen to be an ordinary thing to do as they're going up to the gate of beautiful to go and pray uh, at the hour of prayer. Next thing you know, um, they're walking by this layman, and this layman says, hey, do you have any money? Um, and Peter and John says, no, we don't have any money. But Peter says, but silver and gold I do not have, but what I have to you I give. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. And next thing you know, this creates a big commotion. I mean, even think about it. Praying for somebody that has been lame all their life. And next thing you know, so they're in the temple, a big commotion happens. All the people see this lame man that's been, uh, you know, laying on the side, not able to walk. And all of a sudden, now he's walking. Now you see how all of a sudden all these people are, like, gather, gathering together. It's like, man, what is going on? And Peter sees all these people kind of saying, well, they pray for me. And because of that, you know, now I'm walking. Well, next thing you know, Peter's like, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. Let me reject that. It's not about me. Let me tell you. So he starts preaching another preaching, another sermon. And next thing you know, um, he starts uh, telling them about the resurrection and the power of Jesus. And this is where we pick up in Acts chapter 4, where Peter's about to um, just kind of like culminate this teaching. And this is where it says, um, Acts chapter 1, it says, uh, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 4, verse 1, it says, and as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed. Because they were teaching the people and proclaiming 
and Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody into the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who have heard the word believe in the number of the men came to be about 5,000. Talking about a preaching, huh? <laughs> what a holy mess. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Anna and the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, talking about Peter and John, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, and I, I, I wish I could impersonate this word, his, his voice right now, but I'm not even going to attend, but I'm going to try. Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, oof, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you. Well, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is, no, there is salvation in no other name, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, uncommon men, they were astonished. And they recognize that they have been with Jesus. Now think about that for a moment. How cool will that be? You're hanging out with someone or you're seeing someone that has been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another saying, what shall we do with these men? But that a notable sign has been performed through them, it's evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order, I know all this is so good, I'm like, man. But in order that it may be spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. Obviously, it didn't work. So they call them and charge them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answer them, where there is a right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they have further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man who had whom the sign of healing was performed, was more than 40 years old. Let's pray. Jesus, reveal yourself to us today. Amen. Get somebody a high five next to you and say, get ready. So my wife and I, Karina, we've been married for about 17 years now. I know, that's, that's a long time to some of us, right? 17 years. And I'll tell you what, throughout the years, we have learned about each other very well, you know, very different things. On our honeymoon, um, one of our stops, I'm just going to keep it really G, so chill. 
<laughs> I know Pastor John's mind sends to wonder, so. <laughs> um, on our honeymoon, one of our stops was to, um, we went to St. Augustine. We went to the lighthouse. As we're excited that we get there, you know, we get that we are excited to go up. And as we're making our way up, we're really excited. And obviously, we got married in February, so it's a little chilly out. And when we get up there, um, I, you know, it was really windy and cold, actually. And it was a great day. So we were kind of like there standing for a few minutes. And out of nowhere, I felt my wife kind of like getting really close to me, pinning me against the wall of the, of the little balcony. And I'm like, man, what is going on? I'm like, whoa, this, this honeymoon is starting off on the right track. This is great. I'm like, I love this, you know. And out of nowhere, she just says to me, hey, um, can we actually go down? I'm like, sure, I guess that's more than enough for me. Let's go. So we leave. And then, you know, later on, you know, maybe about a year later or so, we go to, a, to an amusement park. And my wife is having a hard time getting on a roller coaster. And she says to me, you know what? I think I'm, a, I'm afraid of heights. And I'm like, really? She's like, and you know what? I noticed that time on our honeymoon when I was up, when we were up in the lighthouse. That's when I noticed. And I'm like, oh, so it was not that you wanted to get close to me. <laughs> what really was, it was that you fear heights. And it's interesting because even, let me put it like that. It's like roaches, right? It, I'm not even going to ask. I'm not going to say, anybody likes roaches in here? No, I like roaches. I do. There's something about roaches. I know you're like, what? There's something about roaches that remind me of eating a nice bag of Doritos as I chew on the Doritos. Exactly. Right. Let me tell you this, though. In my house, I don't know what's happening. When a, when a, when a roach shows up, I don't, know what, what is, I don't know what happens. When they, literally, when a roach shows up at the house, it's almost as if someone just showed up at the door with a chainsaw getting ready to, like, disintegrate everybody. I mean, there's screams and there's running, and I'm like, what in the world? All it is is like, that's all you do. That's all you have to do. My boy Daniel and I were always like, you know, like, all oh, these girls. We all have some sort of fear. And that's the reality of who we are as human. We may have fear of heights, fear of open space. Any snake lovers in the room? Raise your hand real quick. Who are you? Oh, I see. Oh, I do see a few hands. Well, guess what? The rest of us, bless your heart, we fear snakes. We don't like snakes. We may fear um, medical treatments, we may fear storms, we may fear escalators, we may fear dogs, we may fear animals, we may fear some natural um, environment, we may fear blood, some of us may fear uh, specific situations like flying, like um, choking, or maybe loud noises, or drowning. We all have some sort of fear. And when we deal with them, whether we fight or flight, whether we freeze or melt, whether we melt, I mean, whether we laugh or cry, we all have something inside of us that cry out for help. And some of our fears are there as they just appear. 
right, for my wife, it did not just appear in that moment. It took a little bit. For some of us, we remember exactly the moment something shifted inside of us. We all have some sort of inner fear. I got this one big thought, big idea, as we call it, to kind of sort of frame this talk. And if you're taking notes, I encourage you to write it down or type it up. And this is what it is. Your faith in Jesus can transform your inner fear into outward courage. Your faith in Jesus can transform your inner fear into outward courage. Point number one, why do we fear? Why do we fear? Verse one, as they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed. Because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody into the next day, for it was already evening. Now picture the scene. Peter and John had just prayed for a man to be healed. Now think about it. Put yourself in their shoes. You're at work or you're at school or you're somewhere in the public, in a supermarket or somewhere in a restaurant. And you see someone that is lame and you pray over them, and they get healed. And next thing you know, the person is so excited. Why? Because maybe they have that illness all their life. And all of a sudden, they're excited. They start praising God on the spot. And then people around start gathering to see, what man, what is going on here? What is the problem? And all of a sudden, you see it as an attention, like, oh, wait, this is an opportunity. This is not about what I've done. This is about what Jesus just did for this person. And you start preaching or you start explaining to the people what had just happened and why this person has been healed. See, however, this is the, the reality that in our culture, this might fly. We might be able to get away with, without any opposition, we might be able to get away with it with saying like, you know what, in the name of Jesus, this person has been healed. But in the context of this culture, in the cultures of, uh, in the days of Jesus, it was very different. This was a big issue. This was a big deal. Why? Because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And you might say, Robert, why is that a big deal? Well, let me say it like this. Who were these people and why were they greatly annoyed? Why will the Bible says that these people were greatly annoyed? Verse 5, on the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas and the high priest, and Caiaphas and John and Alexander, and all who were the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Now, this group of people known as the Sanhedrin, this is kind of like the, if you put it like this, like the Supreme Court in the days of Jesus. That's what it was. It's kind of like what it is today. It was made up of 70 men in the high priest. So there was 71 men. And if you can put up that picture up there, I want, I want everybody to kind of like get a mental picture of this. See, there were three classes of people. There was uh, the, the chief priest, the Sadducees, which was mainly Sadducees. The, the scribes were usually 
Pharisees, and then there were the elders, which they did not really fall in any of the two categories. So there was 24 priests, 24 elders, and 24 scribes, 22 scribes. The Sadducees were mainly wealthy priests who wanted to protect the status quo in order to preserve their wealth and their influence over the people. They were loyal to the Roman government, and they opposed any kind of uprising or disturbance among the people that might upset the Romans. The chief priests and the high priests were all Sadducees. And, all they, and let me tell you this, it, they did not believe in life after death. They did not believe in, in angels. They did not believe in devils. So for them, the reality that this, that this is happening, that Peter and John is preaching about Jesus Christ of Nazareth resurrecting from the dead, this for them was like in opposition to their message and who they were and to their belief. Now, can you imagine Peter and John facing these people in this court? This was a group of people that about 60 days earlier had condemned Jesus to death. Now, can you picture that? But the reason why they were facing this group of people was that the group maybe was facing some sort of fear themselves. And the reality is that they fear that although they had got rid of, got rid of Jesus physically, they realized that his name was still alive. That there was power in the name of Jesus. By what power or by what name did you do this? Perhaps this group might have been fearing the fact that through the name of Jesus, life had been altered. That blind eyes have been opened. That deaf ears can hear. That hope has been replaced. That dead men and women have come alive. That the lost are found. That devils tremble. That sinners are set free. See, the fear that this name will spread like wildfire. wildfire. And guess what? It has. And I'm here to tell you, it won't stop. It won't stop. Now, can you imagine Peter and John in front of the people that killed Jesus? How do you think they felt? See, we all have fears. How will you feel when opposition comes your way? How do you deal with opposition? See, looking at this situation, how can we actually feel if opposition is in the face of what we're trying to do? We might say things like, oh, I stay cool. Oh, I don't give it a time of the day. Oh, I don't want to rough any feathers. I'm like, are we dealing with a bird or something? Like, you know, like, I don't want to rock the boat. You know, we say things like this, right? What will you be feeling in that moment? See, the reality is this, that we live so deeply aware of the opinions of people. And there's, there's one fear that I wanted to kind of like highlight out of this talk. is this, is the fear of men. Because some of us might not fear spiders and some of us don't fear roaches. Some of us might be, you know, fear heights. 
But one thing that I feel like some of us and all of us in this room might have in common is that we all have an ounce of fear of man. We fear man, and I'm not talking about androphobia. I'm not talking about, you know, when a female actually, a female actually fears the, the male figure, the, uh, the, the male gender. The fear of man is when you care too much about what people think about you. And this fear has two sides. One side is an oversized craving for the people's approval, and the other side is the oversized fear of people's rejection. We live so deeply aware of what people will think about us. Some of us are living out of our lives and in a way like, what if they don't like me? What if they stop talking to me? What if they don't accept me? What if they don't look my way? What if I go to school and I don't take the career that they want me to take? What are they going to think about me? See, there's this tug of war and there's this reality that we face that we live deeply, kind of like stuck to the opinions of people. On the other hand, we constantly battle with the me. Pastor John, the other, you know, a couple of weeks ago, preached about your best self is your sacrificial self. And so there's this reality that we have on the other side that we deal with me. It's all about me. Me, myself, and I. It's all about self. It's all about what I can do for myself. But then we live concerned about what everybody else says about us. And we don't know who we are, and we're looking for others to tell us who we are. But we would never admit that. For some reason, I don't know why there's something inside of us that kind of like stop us. There's an opposition inside of us that doesn't allow us to really come forward with that. And, and, and let me put it to you like this. In Proverbs 29, 25, it says, the fear of man brings a snare. The fear of man brings a snare. In other words, it brings a trap. But he who trusts in the Lord will be exalted. We may say, it's all about me, it's my life, no one is going to tell me how to live it, I'm going to do what I want to do. But the moment that we post something online, that's the minute that it kind of like left self, and now it's about the people that are going to respond to the likes and to the hearts of the thing that we posted. And it's almost as if we're living for these people to tell us who we are, and what we're about, and what we should do with our lives. But don't tell me what to do with my life. It's all about me. What, a, what an interesting tension, right? And what happens is as we wait for the likes and the hearts and all the comments and all that, we slowly melt, <laughs> and we see that people are not responding to fulfill these longings of our expectations for approval. We all fear men. Listen to this, and I don't want you to miss this. The person or the thing whom we ascribe the most attention is the person or the thing that defines who you are, what we're worth, what we should do, and how we should do it. It's the person we fear the most because it is the person whose approval we want the most. In whatever we fear the most, 
you will serve. And that's a reality check. The fear of man is a snare. We have our need for approval, prior pressure. We have um, the need for honor, need for recognition, um, fear of criticism, fear of humiliation. And these things bring about we're second-guessing our decisions. Uh, we become timid when we should be bold. We, we are disobedient to God. We have poor self-confidence. We judge ourselves worth based upon what people say. We become basically stuck in our belief and in our faith to Jesus. Whatever you fear is the one you believe. And the one you fear and believe the most is the one that you're going to serve the most. And we basically say, God, you're small. People in front of me are big. Now imagine what Peter and John felt in that moment as they were facing this religious, the religious leaders. Peter and John are facing an earthly situation in this earthly mob, but they realize that it was going to take or require some heavenly courage. Point number one, why do we fear? And point number two, you speak boldly about what you deeply believe. Then Peter, verse 8, then Peter being filled with the Holy Spirit said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the cornerstone that you have rejected, the builders which have become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It's almost as if Peter has stood up and said, you know what? This is my only chance. I'm going to swing for the fences. I'm going to go for it. I'm going to give it all out. And the reality is, is not that, that is not the same Peter we know even a few chapters earlier in the book of, uh, in, the, in the Gospels, right? The one that denied Jesus three times. See, Peter stood up, and this is the different Peter now. He is confident. He is fearless. He is bold. His response lets us know that whatever he believes in, he is deeply grounded and rooted in it. And he probably remembers these words spoken by Jesus. Luke chapter 12, verse 11 and 12. And this is Jesus kind of like encouraging or warning his disciples. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. So it's almost like Peter is facing this exact moment that Jesus forewarned before. It doesn't say when you finally get the approval of men, Peter. It doesn't say when you finally get all the likes on social media that you want to see. It doesn't say that. It says when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, we are filled, and guess what happens? 
It brings power. It liberates us. When we are filled with the Holy Spirit, it enables us to communicate with power. When we are filled with the Spirit, it changes the way we hear. It changes the way we speak. It changes the way our vision see. It changes everything inside of us. It changes our authority. It changes our direction. It changes our understanding. It changes our leadership. It changes our insight. It brings great victory. It gives us great confidence. It makes us bold. The Holy Spirit in your life makes you fearless. And I'm sorry that if you have been smeared with the idea of like what the Holy Spirit should be. It's not something that it was supposed to be just an experience as we experience God. And yes, it is. And we believe in that. And we know that in this church, we believe that there is a powerful experience that we can actually tangibly feel the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But it is for more than that. Because he said it in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that when the Holy Spirit will come upon you, you will become my witnesses. And it's almost as Peter is saying, this is my moment. I am putting the cape on of being the witness for my Jesus. The great reformer Martin Luther puts it like this. He was ordered by the Roman Catholic Church to stop preaching a gospel of salvation by grace alone, by faith alone, but that needed to add some works component to that message. And this is his response. Talking about being filled with the Holy Spirit and being bold. He says this. I cannot and I will not recant anything, for to go against conscience is neither right or safe. Here I stand, I can do no other, so help me God. Your faith in Jesus can transform your inner fear into outward courage. See, point number one, why do we fear Point number two, you speak boldly about what you feel, but you believe deeply. And point and final point, point, final point, point three, the fear of God produces outward courage. The fear of God produces outer courage. Verse 13, it says, now when they saw boldness, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they call them and charge them to not speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answer them, where there is a right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge for yourself. For we cannot stop but to speak. We cannot stop but to speak about what we have seen and heard. Man, imagine. What will that be like, church, that we collectively gather and say, we're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit, 
And you know what? We cannot stop but speak about what we have seen and heard Jesus do. In Exodus chapter 1, there's this, this tension. There's two midwives. Um, Pharaoh sends out a decree saying, kill all the male Hebrews that come alive that, that are born. And these two midwives, these two brave, amazing, God-fearing women, Shifra and Pua. Yeah, Shifra and Pua. <laughs> That's a tongue twister. They stand against the fear of man and stand in the fear of God. They say, Pharaoh, we hear what you're saying, but we fear God, and we're going to do what God tells us to do. We're not going to kill every boy. We're not going to do that. What about Daniel? Daniel coming against the king, and everybody is like snitching on him, like, hey, he's over there praying to some other god. And guess what? He gets thrown into the lion's den. And guess what, what he does? Like, you know what? I fear the Lord. I don't fear man. And guess what happened? He gets delivered. What about David? David is sent out to bring some lunch to his friend, to, to his brothers in the battlefield. Now imagine that. You're bringing lunch to a war. <laughs> I mean, go figure, right? That alone in itself is like, man, like you got to have some really courage, right? So he brings some lunch, and then he finds himself actually in the battle with Goliath saying, in the name of the Lord of hosts, I come and I'm going to defeat you. And he does. The fear of God produces outward courage. Osborne Chambers says it like this. He says, the remarkable thing, the remarkable thing about God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. Isn't that well said? And here we see basically Peter and John saying, all or nothing. We're facing death. We know that you killed Jesus, our Savior, our Lord. But you know what? Do whatever you got to do. We're going to stand here strong. And it doesn't matter what. Courage is not the absence. Let me say this, though. Courage is not the absence of the emotion of fear. But one thing is that what helps you sustain that is what you believe in. Because the courage that you build up is going to overcome that fear. Proverbs 14, 27 says, The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, that one may turn away from the snares of death. Psalm 111.10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have good understanding. Psalm 145.19 says, he fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. In other words, we come alive when we stop jumping at every earthly fear and we start responding to God. And you may say, how do we do this? How do I increase in the fear of the Lord so I can get some courage? And I'll put it to you like this. Um, you know, worship team, you can start coming up. We're about to wrap it up here in a few minutes. Um, you might say, Robert, what, what can I do to actually create this courage and to really become more bold about my faith? Um, Proverbs 2, 1 through 5. It's kind of like your application. And you can write it down and you can kind of like dissect it on your own. Proverbs 2, verse 1 through 5 says, My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, 
turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding. Indeed, if you call out for insight and cry out loud for understanding, and if you look for it as a silver and search for it as a hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and you will find the knowledge of God. The deep reality here is that it's talking about an intimate relationship with God. It's talking about that intimate moment where you're closing the door and you're saying, Jesus, this is the moment that you and I become one because I want to know your heart, because I want to do what you call me to do. Receive the words, incline your ear, apply your heart, cry out for the sermon, lift up your voice, seek and search for it. This is how we grow. You might say, how practical things I can do with that. Where, where am I going to do that? Do I need an outlet for that? Robert, I don't have what it takes to actually go into a closet and shut the door and pray. I have a hard time. I got ADD. I cannot even read the Bible. Every Let me tell you. Every first and third Tuesday of the month, we have morning uh, worship and prayer at the hub at 6.30 in the morning. We have pre-service prayer at 10 o'clock in the morning here at, at Western. We also have microchurches that is a midweek touch base that is designed for you to grow in your seeking God intensive and guess what it's a place where you come alongside others to grow in the knowledge of who Jesus is when you when we put our faith in Jesus your inward fear gets transformed to outer courage and then you become a witness for Jesus and you might say, Robert, this is, this is so easy for you to say. You're getting up there, you got a mic, you got a few thoughts. It's so easy. Like, you, you have no idea what I've been through, Robert. And to which I will say, you know what, you're right. I, I don't know what you've been through. And I can only speak for myself of what I've, I have seen and what I have, what, I have heard, what I have seen and heard. And for some of us, we may be stuck in different types of fear that we feel like something is holding us back. And let me tell you like this. I know that a lot of us in this room have had a hard time dealing with fear. But there's nothing like embracing the fear of God to embrace his perfect love. Why? Because in 1 John 4 says that there is no fear in love. But perfect love cast out all fears his love for you can remove and can remove anything from you coming forward and allowing him to move you know leading up to this I I was thinking I'm like I, I, what do I have to bring I, I, I don't have anything to bring to these people some of us might feel like, oh, Robert, like, it sounds good. I'm glad that you're saying what you're saying. But you know what? I'm good. I'm going to walk out and, and do my thing and go to lunch and, and have fun. And as I was wrestling with these thoughts and I was thinking about this, and I'm like, man, I really don't have anything to bring to the table. I really don't. But one thing I know for sure is this. That God has set me free from so many things. And I didn't even realize that it was really the fear of man. 
that I had in my life. What are they going to think about me? What are the people going to say about me? How are they going to see me if I begin to express and let them know all the things that I've been through in life? And I feel like the Lord said to me, Robert, just be you. Just be who you are. Tell them how I have set you free. And I'll tell you like this, I, I, the Lord has done an, an amazing thing in my life. And as I was talking with Pastor John, I'm like, Pastor John was asking me, what are you going to preach about, Robert? And I'm like, you know what? At the end of the day, I'm just going to share with people what the Lord has done in my life. The testimony of Jesus. Basically is this, that he has set me free from addiction. He has set me free from porn. He has set me free from a lifestyle of crime and living a life of self. He has set me free from drugs, from alcohol. He has set me free from all these different things. He has set me free from the fear of man. And he has set me free from the insecurities of being able to share that with people. Because it's not about me. It's not about self. It's about what he has done. It's about what he can do in your life. Being set free from the fear of man to embrace the fear of God for the glory of Jesus. If you stand to your feet, I want to invite you to just worship God with all your heart. Put your faith in him. And I don't know what you came in here with. I don't know what your struggles are and I don't know what you fear. And I'm sure that it, one thing for sure is the fear of men. And as we go into the song, I want us to really, with heart abandoned, arms lifted up, let's give our hearts to Him in His worship.